if we were to watch your life as a movie, would it be interesting? I mean, we we all kind of hope so. Well, my guest today has a story that's honestly more interesting than any Jerry Bruckheimer movie. One day, I imagine, we'll probably end up seeing part of it on a silver screen if he gets around enough. Aaron Young has lived a crazy story, and he wants to help you in your life with what he's discovered on his journey. So let's get into it today. Be better tomorrow because of what you do today. Guys, welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. My name is Brent, and this is your home for all things man, husband, and father. And I'd like to welcome Aaron Young to the show today. Brent, thank you, my friend. It's a pleasure to be here. It's very humbling to hear that intro. <laughs> you, actually, you, you may be nervous. I've never, I'm not usually a nervous man. Sweaty palm. <laughs> Literally, it's, a, I, I'm, it's just because it's humbling. So thank you very much for the intro. Almost popped a tear even. <laughs> You're joining us today from Brisbane, Australia. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Okay, so for reference, for all of us who don't know the real world real well, real well, where is Brisbane in Australia? Okay, so basically I'm on the east coast of the country of Australia, and I'm up towards the northern side of that east coast. So I live on a place called the Sunshine Coast, and it okay. literally is because it's sunny all the time, all year. <laughs> and I'm not rubbing it in, guys. It's And I'm 30 minutes from the beach, heaven on earth. Very grateful for it, too. Aaron? I, I've had a great chance to do some research and look at some of the stuff you put out. I've looked at your YouTube channel and found that today, uh, looking for some of your videos. And I read the incredible story on uh, the app we used to meet up and set up this interview. But I'm a horrible podcast host because I don't think that really actually introduces people. I, I can read off credentials all day and my listeners are like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> um, so tell our listeners, who is Aaron Young in your own words? Who do they meet? What do they know about you? <laughs> oh, well, I've been you trying to write this. You know, you, you know why? Because I've been trying to write this. You know, I'm trying to do this PR thing and this media thing, which I'm just not a very good self-promoter. And you try to write my life into a condensed version. I'm going to use some terms here which I'm not really comfortable with, but I think so. So I'm a survivor of early childhood trauma at the hands of my mother and an abductor. Um, I then went on to turn these experiences into a lot of fear and anger, which I think many men turn fear into anger if they've been through a situation like that. Then turned criminal, then turned drug addict, then cleaned up, then turned drug addict again, then learnt um, that my... My biggest addiction was relationships and women, and actually not drugs or alcohol. Um, but then I turned explorer, and then I left Australia 2004, as you know, and I traveled the world, Middle East and Africa, um, became a conservationist purely by accident. I'm an elephant and lion behavior specialist. I'm a farmer, which is another new one you could throw in there as well. So what are we up? We've got criminal. <laughs> <laughs> conservationist and then and as we know in the end um after farming i became a fugitive so firstly i was chased by authorities then i did two prison stints in africa um two separate prison stints jumped borders illegally um in between two countries to see my kids yeah and now um i say i'm a life coach or a mentor i'm not really comfortable with that phrase i'm a guy who turns all that stuff into gold for others i want to inspire action in people's lives I'm a little bit tired of seeing a lot of the the books and the and, and the and the podcasts that basically talk, talk and encourage us to talk. And what my idea of this is, no, I want you to get up off your ass. I, I want you to listen to something and go, you know what? I'm inspired to take action. 
because in my life it was when I took action that the things that the things changed. All right. Well, that actually got into more of your story, but I was looking for who are you? Like, I mean, you're Aaron Young, right? But who is Aaron Young? You're you're everybody's a product of their experiences. I mean, I, yeah. we definitely are. But today, who are you? Why why do why should people listen to you? You have an incredible story. But what makes um, you you? Jeez, you put me on the spot there. I'm not, this is where I'm not very because I'm not very good at this. This is where you ask me to look and really talk about what I value in myself. And what I value is um, I'm an incredibly courageous um, and humble person who is gifted with an incredible set of life experiences that I turn into the positive. So everything I just rambled off that was a little brief expose on my life, I can stand up and talk to you about the benefit that every single one of those experiences gave me. And I turn the hopeless into hope. That is what I do. And I do that because I've been into those situations and I've felt the hopelessness and I know the ways through it. So you're in trouble because I watched some of your YouTube videos earlier. I was watching the review on a men's weekend you did with older gentlemen from Northern Australia yeah, and talking about making them go in on themselves actually. And so now I know you're capable of it. So I, I got to ask. Yeah. Cause I know you can do it. Yeah. And it is. And I'm glad that's what I need to do more of, because as I said to you, I'm very blase about my life and I need to stop doing that because if one thing adversity and challenge has taught me is that once I serve others with it, it becomes a life that is a thousand fold. And I become a messenger, not through ego, but through, through sheer presence. And I think that's what we're here for, many of us. I mean, I, th I know that's why you're here. That's what you're doing. And I'm still learning how to do that via things like questions like that, where you put me on the ass and then throw me off a little bit. Good. And I'm, I'm glad. I need it. Uh, we're all still learning. Trust me. Um, I, every time I get on the podcast, I'm like, why in the world would anybody listen to this other than me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know, I know that feeling, mate, that, and it is. And I, I, I know where you're at with that one. I do that too sometimes. I think they, on YouTube, YouTube community, they call it imposter syndrome. Yeah. I, I think that's very applicable to a number of other, uh, not just YouTube, you know? Mm. So you touch basically, basically on the quick overview. I'm going to ask you to uh, dig in just a little bit more on, because I, I read what you put on so both of us use a service called podmatch to help put together guest and podcast hosts and just reading your story i look at my wife i'm like because I, I i took my wife it's like hey i want you to look at this when you reached out and it's like there is there is so much interesting here you know how do i do this show and bring it back to our guest right to our audience uh, because the, this, the story was incredible enough. Um, and I'm not sure I even, I, I think I barely skimmed the surface with what you put and digging through some of the stuff you put up on your Facebook page and stuff like that. Uh, I didn't understand the reference to NTD at four. NDA, uh, so near, near death experience. Near death experience. Yeah. And then kidnapped at five. Yeah, that, that, that was, yeah. <laughs> and then. And you even made a comment about it was a great thing that happened to you. Yeah, it was. And, and, and this is what I do with experiences like this. So near-death experience in a nutshell was um, my mother was an addict. 
suffers from some pretty severe mental health issues. She had me very young at around 18 and probably at the worst time in her life. I, I cried a lot. So what she, in her words, she basically shook me till I stopped and then threw me on a bed and left me. Um, she didn't come back for about three days. So I remember coming to out of that. I don't remember the shaking, obviously. I don't think many kids at four remember sort of succinct depth to that. But I remember coming to and being hungry for, th- for those three days. So that's my first, first early memory. The abduction was a local, a local kid in the area. I lived in the heroin capital of Australia, sadly. It was a pretty rough neighbourhood. Who tried to molest me, abducted me, dragged me off into the bush, tried to molest me, didn't realise what he got himself into, and I fought like a cat. So that didn't happen, but he left me in the bush until that late that evening, came back and then threatened to kill me and kill my family if I ever told anyone. So the power in both of those experiences now at 47 is in how I see and perceive the world around me and perceive other people. For much of my life, though, I understand it was a big negative because I was hypervigilant. I was a mind reader. I was always looking to see a hidden purpose in everyone's words, in everyone's meaning, their body language. I was always reading. So as you can imagine, when it came to people that kept me distant, but when it came to the work I did in some of the jobs and some of the, the career choices, it was incredible because I was 10 times your, your average guy. But it was certainly not a healthy way to look at my life. Now, um, I'm able to use my perspective how I see the world, which is that I see the beauty in every single situation because when you see death or when you experience the face of it very early, you take every moment as sheer pleasure. So fast forward several years, right? And you said life of crime in your teens and drugs and and then you ended up in Africa, right? In South Africa, you said you started and then you moved up to Zimbabwe. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. And somehow became an accidental conservationist. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. And in Africa, you went from conservationist to farmer to criminal because you weren't willing to play the corrupt game there with government. And you went through to the Zimbabwe jail twice in prison there. Yeah, twice, yeah. As the only white man in the country, or in the prison in the com- that country at the time. Yeah, yep. With a corrupt system trying to set you up to all, they finally end up having to drive you from the country. Yeah. And your children are still there. Hmm. Seriously, mate, your your life is a movie. It's it's incredible, but you have this drive to help people with those experiences. And you, so you can't. Yeah, you look. You can't allow the stories or the things that happen to you to drive your life. So I can't take the early near death, the abduction. I can't take all these experiences and wear them as a blanket to become a victim. Because then I become a dysfunctional member of society and God knows we've got enough of that already. By embracing the situations, by being able to perceive them and see the positives in them, I become connected to the world around me and I'm able to actually look at people in a sincere way and understand how they're feeling and what it is that they need to overcome their own story. So it doesn't matter whether it's a prison stay, it doesn't matter whether you got smacked as a child or whether you had a teacher that treated you poorly. It's not the volume or the height of the story that matters. It's how you look at it and how you use it. And so for me, my biggest motivation now is to show people that in hopelessness is a fallacy. This is a mental concept. 
you know, hope is basically how you think. Knowing if you're breathing, there is always hope. And what I think has happened is we tend to come to a point in our existence where um, we give up hope very easily. And I'm the guy who steps in and reminds you that uh, you're in control of your life and it's the actions that you take today that, as we know, you know, because what you do today, I'm just looking, you've just cropped back on and I've got, you know, tomorrow because of what you did today. And the truth is, is whether you say it your sentence or my sentence, it's exactly the truth. I've got a birthright that states I'm a walking example of what is possible, no matter what is thrown at you. How dare I not use it? Have you considered, like, you know, writing your life into a script and selling the movie rights? Uh, man, you know how many times I've been asked and how many authors have tried to come and get me to write a book. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a self-promoter, and it's something that these podcasts I'm hoping will teach me to understand my story better. Because I think just in Africa, there's probably is a movie and a story. I just need to learn how to see it in that way. Because again, I'm just, I'm, I'm, humility is my greatest strength, but also one of my greatest weaknesses. But, uh, I like marketing is a big weak point for me. I'm horrible at marketing my podcast because, uh, you know, JK Rowling said it really well in the Harry Potter series where they're like, but Harry, you're a wizard. And he's like, I, I can't be a wizard. I, I'm just Harry. Right. I mean, I, I have this mentality about it myself. It's like, but, but I'm just me. Right. Um, no, I, I was just thinking it would, I, I've seen some movies with much lamer plot lines. So yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that, that might help your movement with some of the stuff you're trying to do. Right. Added funds. Oh, yeah, it would. It, it look for me, it would, because the truth is, is I'm on a mission now to really understand and, and, visit I guess men's mental health I mean mm -hmm. it was mental health for all people but what I started to realize is that my story probably relates more to to physical challenge in, in in sort of the perspective of your average male than it does to your average woman I translate men for women but in my actions and my life I probably work better with men and you know I think the idea of looking at what we're doing with the mental health system which is basically just prescribing and prescribing and prescribing in the face of this pandemic needs to be questioned and I think it's people who've lived and challenged adversity, really got their hands dirty, who have the right to stand up and say, well, hang on a second, I can tell you that antidepressants aren't the long-term fix. And beta blockers are not the long-term. Sure, if they stop the cycle, great. But at some point, we need to take back ownership of our mental health. You can't dull the mind and expect to grow. It will keep you stuck and stable. But... Um, it won't allow you to grow. And what is our journey here for? Are we here to repeat the same day over and over again? Or are we here to launch ourselves every day into the prospect of learning something new, growing? And as you say, better dad, better partner, better businessman, better man, or, you know, if the case may be, better woman. That's our aim. That's why I wake up in the morning. And if I carry all of this experience as a blanket around me that says, poor me, I'm a victim, then I am now pouring negative energy out into the world everywhere I go. Touch everyone with that. We have far far too many victims. I'm, I'm not sure how we got into this victimhood mindset yeah. that seems to be raised these days. I've got to ask you, so you've traveled extensively. I didn't see much in your uh, information about your time in the Middle East, but yeah. you've traveled extensively compared to most people. 
Yeah, I spent most of my younger years in Asia, so Thailand, also South Pacific, and Fiji, Kiribati, Tonga, and um, Laos, and then Cambodia, and then you know the Middle East as well for a few years, and then most of Southern Africa as well. Yeah. So with all the world travels, I've got to ask. I, I'm a foodie. What is the most interesting thing you've gotten to eat in all your travels? Oh well, can I be honest about this? Um, <laughs> The most interesting and, and sort of the most horrifying at the same time probably was lion, eating lion. Yeah, I mean, for a short time I worked in a hunting camp in Mozambique and, and a client shot a lion and in a hunting camp in Africa you tend to have many different tribal backgrounds. Some of them will eat certain meats, some won't. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys ate lion and he bought it to me and said, do you want to try it? And I was like, no, I don't really want to, um, but I did. So it's probably the strangest. Zebra would be another one that's an interesting one. Giraffe. Like I said, I'm not um, I'm not very comfortable sharing that because if I look back at I mean, it turned me into a conservationist at work, but when I look back on it, it doesn't make me comfortable to say I ate those animals. But it is the truth. People want to – it's amazing how many people want to get away from the darker moments in their history. And just, I, I met so many people who were like, oh, you know, I regret that time. Or if I could go back and change, I wouldn't change anything. No. I have made my share of mistakes. And I have some parts of my past that I'm not real comfortable with. But at the same time, all those moments contribute to who you are now. Yeah. And, you know, you just made, we made a good point, comfort. We're both saying it. And then it's a really good word to hone in on here quickly because when you're uncomfortable, you're up, you're having you're being gifted an opportunity to learn when you're comfortable not a lot grows there you have easy it's easy so you get up and comfort's cool because you've got everything you want and you can repeat that same day in comfort forever when you're uncomfortable if you look back at your life that was when you turn you hit the t-junction and you went shit i'm gonna go left this time i'm not going to go back into that so uncomfortable is good and it's one of the things i teach men you know i take them in the bush and i break them <laughs> In all words of life, I starve them and I push them because in that discomfort, men start to see that primal side of them and understand how powerful they truly are. Oh, doesn't wow. matter whether you're tall, skinny, short, big, muscly guy, short, it doesn't matter. Power comes from in here. Stats you can't see in your chest. Don't come from in your muscle. Well, we all are a product of the experiences, good and bad, but they all contribute equally. And yeah. so if you start to... You know, I don't have to like everything I've chosen to do. You don't have to like everything you've chosen over your life, but it's brought you to where you are today and the person you are and the person you're trying to be. And so people like, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's part of the whole package because if you yeah. made one choice difference, you could be an entirely different person than who you are today. And you don't have to be proud of it, but you can't disown it. You cannot disown it. And this is why, like I'll say, I'm uncomfortable in saying that I did it. But when you ask me the question, the truth is that was the strangest thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> and now I'm not comfortable. But then, like you, you know, rightly pointed out, I wouldn't be sitting here right now doing this podcast. I wouldn't have these beautiful children, albeit not with me. Um, I wouldn't have this beautiful partner. I wouldn't be living in this beautiful part of the world during what is one of the craziest times in our history. Right. You know what I mean? I'd be, I'd be in a country where people are still dying in hundreds every day. You know, so, and I'm able to set something up and I'm also able to do what I'm doing here, which is offer my experience to other people to hop, to give them some hope or to rattle them 
and have them think twice about that ease and comfort, you know, step into it and get a little dangerous. So how do you accidentally start working in elephant lion conservation? Just, you know, yeah. like you tell here, I just, um, uh, yeah, so, it doesn't seem like something you stumble into. Well, I do stumble. This is the thing. I stumble or I'm creative. I'm not quite sure the magic trick to how I, I create the things I do. But um, so I was hunting in Mozambique by accident. I went to do a farming project in Mozambique. That failed. And so I ended up in a hunting camp. So I ran this hunting camp for a while and I was quite in love with the idea of, you know, olden days hunting and these, you know, explorers running across Africa. And what I quickly realized is that hunting in modern Africa is pretty much wholesale slaughter. The attitude is kill it before someone else does. And so what I was introduced to was this idea that there needed to be a, a stronger voice for conservation, one that wasn't attached to government and wasn't attached to a big NGO, which is the not-for-profit guys. Mm-hmm. So I ran into a gentleman in his 70s who used to be a National Parks and Wildlife Officer in the Zimbabwe government. He was one of the last uh, white gentlemen to leave government service. He trained me to be a tracker. He trained me to do uh, game capture. So this was game capture restocking national parks. I learned how to, you know, immobilize, treat animals when they were sick, move them to different countries, cross border, and, and that became my day to day. What happened was, as I did more and more of this and I got closer and closer to these animals, I started to see their plight. And I got involved, sadly, with the relocation of eight young elephants to China from Zimbabwe by accident. It wasn't something I, I, I was involved with the, the organization of, but I was at the tail end of the logistics of it. And I saw these animals being shipped off. And it broke my heart and changed my idea and concept of what was happening in Africa with wildlife completely. I woke up three months later and decided to start saving animals for real. So I heard stories of animals being shot under PAC rulings, which is a problem animal control ruling in northern Zimbabwe. So I took the authorities to task and went to war with them and said, you can't continue to do this. I'm going to come up there and I'm going to find a way to teach these animals to stay away from town. If I can keep them out of the towns, will you stop shooting them? And they said, yep, sure, good luck with that. So we invented some systems to teach these elephants to stop their old migratory routes, stop coming into the town, because if you enter this town, you're dead. So we invented a chili resin and homemade PVC plastic guns, and we chased the elephants around the town shooting them with an incredibly potent chili resin which stuck to their skin and taught them not to come through town. And we were incredibly successful, and that's now used through about four or five different African countries. Um, then just by accident, uh, what was happening is lions were being shot left, right and center because as soon as a lion kills cattle in Africa, it's considered a, a nuisance and a problem. So instead of them being shot again, I stepped in and said, guys, let's, let's move them. So I worked with teams of vets and we would literally go in, trap them or mobilize them, bait them. So put a bait up and bring them in and then immobilize them and move them to a new location to try and save them from being destroyed. So, you know, I don't have any background in any of this. I literally on the job training. It was, and, and, and taking advantage of opportunities. Someone said, do you want to do this? And I, I never said no. That's, that's incredible. That's one of those things just like how, you know, you, you included some uh, pictures on your profile. You had some great shots rescuing animals. Looked like you were transporting a lion in one of them. And, Fixing a working on an elephant that got caught in a snare in another one, which is just yeah. And there's and and the thing is, there's beautiful and there's beautiful stories. There's done and there's tons of footage as well. I shot a lot of it Sky News, and there's quite a few internet radio shows in the states that picked it all up. And it was all in this idea of 
giving these animals a voice, but also educating without without throwing mud on any of the other not-for-profit organizations in the world, it's become an industry. And mm-hmm. I started to see the damage that was doing to the cause. The money, instead of it going to actually operations and, and helping these animals in the field or educating the locals to stop wanting to kill them, it was going into fleets of brand new vehicles, you know, radio towers, a bunch of shiny looking stuff, but there was no actual work being done. And, you know, I, I like to be a crusader. So, you know, it was just one of those things I took on board and I just, and I wanted to inspire my children at this point too. They were incredibly young and I, I wanted them to be inspired by my actions, not by my words, which is as soon as I was a father and a parent, this was the first thing I wanted to give them. Mm-hmm. Coming from my background, my idea was you can't tell, I can't tell them what to do. But I can certainly show them because kids don't learn by what we say; they learn by what we do. That is a, that is a incredible statement and an incredibly true statement. At that, um, that is just a profound thought that more people, not not just men, but men and women yeah. both, as all parents, need to really like dwell in on hard. Just turn in on that one. Um, our parent, our children see so much more of what we do opposed to what we say. It's it's unreal. My my children teach me so much more. I swear than they than I teach them sometimes. You guys, uh, we're gonna roll to our sponsor and then we're really gonna start digging in. We spent the first part of the show just spending some time trying to get to know Aaron a little bit. But you don't live a life like this without learning some incredible lessons. Aaron, you've had a lot of experiences to draw from, including some really rough events in your life. And we touched on those in the first part of the show. Things that would crush most people because we live in a society where victimhood is not only becoming more normal, but it's champion. <clears throat> it's, I, I don't know why we're encouraging this behavior, but most people would crumble over just one or two of the things. Um, I mean, being jailed in a foreign nation, being kidnapped, your your life has just been one event after another. How did you develop the fortitude to be strong enough to be stronger than the situation you were faced with? You know, it's a it's a beautiful question and it changes. So I'm, I'll answer it from like post kids because it did change. Because prior to that. I was motivated by survival and this is anyone who's faced early childhood trauma or no, you get wired and built to survive. And so those situations that which we say could crush other people, for me, were almost part of my adrenaline addiction. And it sounds crazy, but this is the whole idea that you attract and create what it is that you want. And because of those early childhood experiences, I think early on in life, this is what I was, was absorbing and bringing towards me. Once I had kids, though, that completely changed. You know, I decided to drop the selfishness and that was the life-changing moment for me. Up until I had children, I didn't have any responsibility towards anyone and I kept people at enough of a distance that I never really owed them anything. So I was able to continue to move as I needed to and as long as I stayed heart-centered or compassionate and kind, I felt it was okay to keep moving. Once I had my kids, though, I dropped the selfishness and I was forced to have a good, hard look at myself. And what I'd done is in a very corrupt way I'd taken those childhood experiences and I'd used them to propel myself and I'd created an immense amount of positivity. But the corrupt side of it was that I'd actually used them as a negative fuel inside me to be incredibly selfish, keep the world at a distance, 
and to just motivate me towards a never-ending series of explorations, adventures and excitement. Well, once you have children, you, you can't live like that for many reasons. If you continue to, you're basically going to produce children who follow in your footsteps. But for me, what was most important was that I was now an example. Let's just talk my daughter was the turning point from my daughter was born. I was the man she was going to look for later in life. And if you stop and you sink that in, and I'm, I'm addressing men here, but this is, could be male or female, this isn't about just being a man. I was the example that she was going to look up to. So it was very easy for me to look at all the situations that I was going through and even the ones from the past in a very different light now. I got that choice. Do you want to silently be that victim? Do you want to fuel yourself with these negative energies and drive yourself forward and show your kids that that's the way to live? Or do you want to stop dead still, you know, turn around and look back and go through each one of those and learn to understand the positives and the benefits? Well, what's the positive to my mother doing what she did when I was four years old? I respect life in a heavy way. And when I look at a child, I understand how precious every single second of every single minute of every single hour of every single day is to a child's early development because I did, I was robbed of that. What did I get as a benefit from being abducted at the age of five? I can connect with anyone with any story of trauma and look them in the eye and say, no, I've been there. Now, if that's not a benefit for me helping others in the world, I don't know what is. Because when you can truly empathize and connect with someone through empathy, you can truly help them. If you try and teach someone from a place of book learning, or I read once about trauma sufferers and I can tell you this is what happens, you're not going to get very far. I can deal with these people from a place of understanding. What is the benefits to me being a drug addict at one point? Well, once again, empathy. And also one thing drugs and alcohol will teach you is that when your um, knees are about to hit the floor and when you're on the bones of your ass and you've got absolutely nothing to look forward to, there is only one choice and that is to move forward and up, yeah, or slowly decay and die. So for me, um, I could turn every single one of these experiences into gold. You know, that's, um, that's my inspiration, and that's my offering to the world now, and it's something that I wake up every single day learning how to do better. It's the reason I do these podcasts. It's the reason I connect with anyone at any point because I believe I was blessed with the life I've had so that I can offer a sense of understanding for people who feel alone. Guys, I want to I want to dwell down on on something you're saying right here, and that is perspective, right? I, I asked about fortitude. How do you choose to survive? And he chose to have the strength to survive because he gained perspective on the situation. And perspective is something I talk about a lot on my channel, but perspective is the difference between I'm a victim or now I can help somebody. I'm a failure or I'm a success. This didn't work or this did work. Right. I mean, there's a famous quote. Uh, I didn't find, I didn't fail a thousand times, but found a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. Right. Edison, Thomas Edison. And it, it's perspective. Anybody else might've said, man, and failed. I, I failed and I failed. And, I had a bad experience. I had an unpleasant experience. I had an uncomfortable experience. And instead of letting it break you, 
you had enough perspective to say, it can make me stronger. It can make me smarter. It can make me more capable to help people, more capable to help other lives. And a lot of people who have trauma tend to want to focus inward and be like, well, I, I, I need help. I need help. And said, you went, I can help others. I, I can offer other people comfort and understanding because of this. And that, that is incredible. Yeah, the victim, the victim is selfish. And this is why I believe we live in a, in a crumbling society. And I think it's why we're becoming more and more disconnected. I believe it's why we rely on screens, TV, evasion techniques, whether it's gym, drugs, alcohol, relationships, whatever it is. It's because of that very reason. Uh, I think we're just trying to find a way to disconnect um, and be more and more selfish. And I think that this is what we need more um, community leadership is people standing up and being selfless. And having this idea that my life is to serve and give back because as, as a man, and I'm just speaking for myself here, that's the ultimate gift is to be able to stand, stand peacefully and stably with men around me in this community here and offer them a safe place that they can go back and look at their trauma. And remember trauma, as you just pointed out beautifully, is about perspective. Someone can watch their dog get hit as a boy. Someone can get abused and it can be the same reaction in their body. All right. This is not about who's got the biggest, baddest trauma. Don't work like that. Everybody is different. You know, I use glasses as perspective as a set of glasses. Now, another thing I want to quickly touch on, you can take those glasses off at any time, put another set on. Perspective is ever changing. Just because you've got a perspective now that you're a victim and that it feels hopeless and you're lost in 30, 60, 90 days, you can flip that and you can relook at each one of those experiences and actually have them Standing exactly like mine do. There isn't, it isn't a case of it's a dead end and you listen to us talk and it's like, oh yeah, this all sounds great, but I can't do that. I'm 45 now. It's too far. I've been doing this. I'm 47. I only started really working this shit out when I was 40. Yeah. So there is never a too late. Never ever a too late. And the work and the things we do are simple, but you've just got to be prepared to, you know, as Brent said, alter your perspective. Take the glasses off. And you, and you brought up the point perfectly, right? You said a lot of things changed when you became a father, right? Oh, yeah. the, the old reasons didn't work. The old perspectives didn't work. Um, that, is, that is something. It's an incredibly humbling experience when you become a parent because it alters your perception of reality forever. I have a colleague I used to work with, and he had a baby boy, right? And I've known him long enough that he had a baby boy and he loves his little boy. And he used to listen to us talk about parenting and be like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then his wife got pregnant with his daughter. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, he said, dude, how do you, how do you get through the day? <laughs> like, what do you mean? He's like, ever since I found out she was pregnant with our daughter, like I don't look at men the same. I don't look at, I said, and you don't look at girls the same and women the same. Yeah. Everything has changed on your perspective now because you have a daughter. It's beautiful. And it's a beautiful moment. It's a scary one. When people tell me quite commonly, I know guys and they get like my first daughter and I'm like, and they think I know what, I know what's coming. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> a daughter in a, entering a man's life. Like I said, the first thing you look at is, do I want her chasing someone like me? Mm-hmm. Because as we know, daughters will idolize their fathers. And they will go after a guy like you were. 
Oh yeah. Do you want her bringing you home at that point? And I and and that was like, whoa, like you've got to stop and really feel that and go. No, I didn't. I, I didn't. I, there was there was a lot I did. Yeah, there was a lot I did. Parts of it I did, but there were also massive parts of me I didn't. I've teased my wife a lot about I tried to marry a woman as opposite for me as possible just to balance out the bloodline, just, <laughs> just to try and water down how stupid I was and what kind of person I was sometimes. No, I actually make you, – you said that I make a T-shirt. I told you we were talking before the show started that you know one of the things I do is make T-shirts. This one, the one you're wearing, I have one that says uh, memento mori, right, the famous phrase. Yes. Um, it says – but under it, it says, live your life as such that your sons want to be you and your daughters will accept nothing less than you. It is. And then, and man, oh, he said shivers through me. I can't believe anything's true. And like for me, it's even more pertinent because my kids are stuck back in Africa. You know, when I had to leave at gunpoint when they deported me, I, I wake to these sorts of sayings, you know, because I'm literally being forced, forcefully separated from those two children and I don't get to be that daily father like I like to. So I send them videos every day and I talk about the basics that I can at a young age about these sorts of things because that, you know, that's probably my last hurdle in life that weighs on me is how to be, I don't say the ultimate parent because we're, we're not perfect. You know, human is perfect, but I want to be the best damn version I can. Right. For them. And then ultimately what I've learned over time is that needs to be for me as well. This, this podcast was born out of that realization. Yeah. Uh, I wrote I wrote a blog. I think I even did it as a podcast at one point called Don't You Want to Be Superman? My goal in life as a father is to set the bar so high that my daughters will voluntarily not settle for subpar men. Yeah. Right. I want to set that bar just so stinking high that anybody they bring home has got to be halfway decent. Yeah, and I agree with you. And what a, and you know, some people would sit there, go, oh, you can't do that. Yes, you can do that. That is the way because how we lead by example is how we affect the world around us, not how we talk. So you can tell your daughter, don't you know, don't go with a guy that does this and don't do that. It's just not the way it works. She's going to look at you, and if on the surface you pretend to be something and then behind closed doors you're something else, also understand that children see the world very differently, and you cannot pull the wool over their eyes. They live in a world that is driven by energy and connection, something that we've forgotten as adults. If you think that you're hiding something from your children, you better think again very quickly because you are not hiding a single thing. If you're pretending, if you're lying, they know, and what you're teaching them is that pretending and lying is the same. It's like for me, one of my greatest challenges is like we're talking about self-worth and this idea of my personal value. I'm very much keen to give and share my life and my experiences constantly, but I need to come back to myself and my own value at time because I could be teaching my children to be people pleasers. Because if I teach them to give without giving to myself, that's a very dangerous place. We have to, they have to see us giving to ourselves. Otherwise, when are they going to stop to give to themselves? So there's this beautiful, you know, opening and, un and unraveling of what parenting is for me. And, you know, for me, I think it's the greatest journey we get blessed with. I, mm -hmm. I think being a parent, but I also think it can be the toughest to learn because your children will face you with your greatest, you know, your greatest failures will pop up mm -hmm. in their little faces at points and you'll be faced with, when you yell at a child, usually you're yelling at yourself. You know, that, this is the thing. And, and 
they are our greatest teachers. You said it before, and it's one of the most, it shows me a true man when he says um, something along those lines. When, you know, when a, a man is prepared to say, my child is my greatest teacher, I know I'm dealing with a man of character. In the, I, I can't even give with the old cliches of telling my children, you know, stay away from guys with tattoos, piercings, and motorcycles. <laughs> that's me. Uh, <laughs> so, random question. In the last year, what purchase under $100 has the most positive impact on your life? That's the best questions I've been asked. I was going to say my headphones so I could do these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it probably would be because before that, my audio jack on my laptop wouldn't work. It probably would be that because I'm honestly learning so much from these interactions with people. And like you talked about perspective, the best way we can ever learn about our lives and how they can impact others, but also how they're driving our own decision making is by speaking to people like you, to, to doing what we're doing right now. The more we unfilter the head and let it just pour out the mouth, the more we learn about what's truly driving it. So yeah, I'm going to say my headphone okay. with the microphone. <laughs> not very not very exciting you know hey i i asked one guest and he uh referenced a book that he read and you know what it's that that's it's part of our perspectives right you find what has value to you as you start to weed through life it's like what what actually brings more value to my life and that is, that is so personal from person to person so that's a perfectly legitimate answer uh in our correspondence you referred to that we're choosing to carry too much generational and societal junk. You want to expand on that some? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I, I, I meditated this morning and ancestral trauma came up, the word. And I don't go into it too much because people get a little bit shy at this. You know, when you say ancestral trauma, they go, oh, what are you talking about? They get really a bit off. And, and I was a bit like that myself until I realized what happens is, you know, we're born of two people, mum and a dad. If mum and dad, as we've just been talking about, aren't the best examples, just, just for one of, of going erring to the, to the negative, they teach us a series of behaviours and beliefs that we then continue on, then produces children who then continue on again. But each generation that does that stacks more of their junk on top. And sometimes we need to get to a point where we actually stop and say, what am I carrying that's not just mine from my life experience, but what am I carrying of my mum and dad's? And what were they carrying of their mum and dad's? Because we need to understand that generationally, we know more about parenting than we ever have in our existence. Our mums and dads weren't bad people. My mum's not a bad person. My mum's mentally ill and it's got some issues that she needs to deal with. She's not a bad person. She did the best she could. She suffered from heavy trauma when she was young. Now, my nana, her mother, she suffered the same. So the idea of ancestral trauma or ancestral junk is that we take ownership at a point in our lives where we say, what am I carrying that I'm going to pass forward to the next generation, my next, the next bloodline? That isn't just mine, but it could be being passed down from parent, from grandparent, from great-grandparent. And am I going to own this moment enough to deal with it? And am I going to heal it by talking to those people if they're still alive? Talk to mum and dad about these things. Talk to grandparents about these things. Because all it really becomes about for me is just this moment of actually stopping and looking at children and saying, do I want them to carry this? Am I prepared to be honest enough about the things that I do 
because it's not about the things you say, it's about the things that you do. Am I going to be honest enough about those behaviors and face them? Am I going to be prepared to change? And it takes a hell of a lot of courage. Um, and it takes a, a hell of a lot of fortitude to then step into that action every day, you know, and for everyone's action steps are different. You develop them based on, on the person's personality, but it's an everyday thing. And the, you know, the older I get, the more I realize if I don't work that muscle. So for me, it's not gym, it's breath work, it's meditation, it's, you know, moving the physical body, it's taking time to actually look after myself. If I don't do that, I'm going to pass on to my children the fact that it's all right to give, 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 and never actually look after myself. I don't want my kids to be people pleasers. I don't want people to take advantage of them. You know, these are the sorts of examples I use because we've got, we've got those, you know, those in us. Today's episode brought to you by thefallibleman.com. That's right, it's us. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com and check out our blog, updated twice a week with new content, and links to all of our social media offerings. Tag or search us at The Fallible Man or at Fallible Man on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social medias for daily content. While you're there, check out our attitude swag, shirts, cups, stickers, and more. Again, that's www.thefallibleman.com. So Aaron, what are three steps every man can take right now to start improving themselves? start growing as a person and as a man? This is a really good question. And, and it's one that r it rattles people. And, you know, and, 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 and it's in the answer, honesty. All right, now when I talk about honesty, I'm not talking about the thing you were taught as a child about telling other people the truth. That is very important. But what's more important than telling other people the truth is telling yourself the truth. The biggest problem we have in our lives and i'm going to say as men but it is a human problem is denial we do not want to accept the problems or the negative i'm going to say negatives but we don't want to accept that we might lie that we might manipulate that we have done things out of selfishness if you refuse to admit and take ownership of those traits inside you then they will play a hidden role in your life so for me, the number one step is honesty, self-honesty. Strip the denial. Have a look and realize that you are your own worst enemy and it sucks to admit it. And when you first get told, you're going to fight, you're going to kick, you're going to scream. But when you own those traits, when you own the fallible parts of you, is when you get a true sense of freedom. Because when you own them, you can look at them and be aware of them and you can learn from, learn from them, learn why they're there. Number two, um, for me, is keep it simple. We've, we li we're living in a society and in a world that is in love with complication, which is driven by what you, you hear the word ego. And what we need to do is remember that all the things um, that we need to do are already inside us. You don't need to read 50 self-help books. You don't need to watch me talk for 50 hours. You don't need to watch another documentary. What you need to do is look at yourself honestly. Honestly. Um, remove the denial, face the facts of where you're at. And then number three is choose. Is wake up and choose. Stop waking up with excuses and stop waking up with, um, I can't. Wake up every morning with I can. You take those three simple choices. 
and your life will change instantly. And it's first thing in the morning. You make these three little decisions. I'm going to be honest with myself today. If I act like an asshole, I'm going to call myself out and say, I'm acting like an asshole. Why did I do that? Because I felt insulted. Was it real? Own it. You're a human being. You're full of faults. You're full of mistakes. And you wouldn't be human if you didn't. So when you own them, your life becomes an incredibly joyous occasion because you now take away the power of anger. You take away the power of the sad. Because when you act like an asshole, you turn around and say, you know, man, so I'm sorry. You know, when you, when you state that self-honesty, you strip all that negativity from your life because you own the moment. Yeah. I, uh, I love the keep it simple idea. Um, I recently heard a quote that was just phenomenal and it was, if it was easy, what would this look like? And it's just an incredible idea of approaching, you know, life and decluttering, decomplicating it. And just going back to simplicity, yeah, yeah, because we're 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 addicts. Every human, single human on the face of the planet is an addict. We have an addict mindset, which is the idea that we collect, we want, we want something outside of ourselves. So when we complicate, it's the idea of obsession, the mind getting addicted to something. It doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. And see, we get caught up in the idea that addiction is a guy with a brown paper bag or a needle. Man, the guy going to the gym five times a week and ignoring his family is an addict. The guy going to work 60, 70 hours a week and ignoring his family is an addict. The guy who gets in his car and disappears every weekend because he can't handle his family is an addict. We're all addicted. And when you simplify life and you remove a lot of the clutter, you're left with you. And then you see that. And you know what? Being an addict is kick-ass. I'm an addict. Shit. That's what. So what do I do with that? I work on it. Now I'm out of that denial. I'm in that self-honesty. I'm addicted to work. I'm addicted to gym. I'm addicted to sex, to relationships. I'm addicted to people. I'm addicted to chaos. You know, some people are addicted to their kids. Find that thing inside you and then strip it away. And what you're left with is look in the mirror. You, uh, you said be honest with yourself. I, one of my biggest weak links is I have an addictive personality. I, I'm an all or nothing kind of person. Me so too. when I when I go in, I'm like, you know, <laughs> head first. There's no parachute. There's no backup plan. I'm just bam in it, right? And you do that by simplifying because the things that you're doing, Brent, are beautiful and amazing to do. Just like me, like you look at my life, I just took it too far. So if I did the conservation, but if I simplified it, especially in the conservation world, when I went to war with the NGOs and the profit making businesses over there, I'd have won. Yeah, but because I went too hard, too fast, I wasn't able to look at my behavior. I wasn't allowed to be honest with the fact that I was acting like an arrogant prick. I was here, you know, I was a foreigner in Africa telling Africans and being there three, four generations that they were stupid or wrong. Now, on the surface of the facts, they probably were, but I wasn't doing it in the way that I was going to achieve anything long lasting except make enemies. So it is that same mentality that when we do the things we do, we don't want to stop being who we are. Our values and who we are at our core is freaking beautiful mm -hmm. but we do with people like you and i need to just sometimes take a big and it's about the breath man take that big gut breath in and go am i going too fast here am i ignoring what's really important which is you know for me am i ignoring my stepson because he's had a bad weekend with his with his dad am i ignoring my partner because i'm focused and freaking on about money and the business not succeeding and then going whoa 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 whoa, whoa. where am i i'm right here right now go and give her a hug and tell her you love her 
you know, go and do whatever it is you may need because the things that drive us and that we're passionate about, they're not going anywhere. You're not going to change your fundamental core and your passion will still remain there. And then what that moment of coming out of it and not going guns blazing and head down full first like I have in my life allows you to be a little bit more relaxed and at peace with what you're doing. And you tend to find less control. And, you know, we talked about it when I came back on. We end up in flow. Mm-hmm. And when we're, in, when we're in flow, my humble opinion of flow is in God's purpose or in the universe's purpose or the source's purpose or whatever word you're comfortable with. The flow is just your letting go of control that the human mind demands. The mind wants to know and wants to fix and wants to have a set goal and wants to know when and wants to know how. God's like, no, man, trust. Trust. You're alive, you got up this morning and you sucked a big breath in and you got out of bed and you're here. you still got your choices. I haven't taken those away from you. So choose to stay in this moment now and when you, an hour later when you've done the things that really matter, which is connecting with your family, with your colleagues, um, with someone who needs help, serving your community, then go back to that thing because it'll be 10 times more potent and you'll be 10 times more at peace with the results and how it unfolds. I had an author on... Uh, a while, I don't know, a month or two ago now, uh, Nate Rifkin, he wrote a book called The Standing Meditation. And the book is basically like a retelling of him finding his way through a Taoist meditation, but specifically one pose, the standing meditation. And it wasn't, he said, you know, it wasn't that it was some magic. It's forcing myself to stay in this slightly rigid, uncomfortable position and just breathe through the moment and learn to be still and learn to breathe and process and just be present in my body and in my thoughts. And and uh, so I, I experimented with it a little bit uh, when I was reading the book and before after I interviewed him. And it's like, hey, it is a really uncomfortable position, but there was a lot of value because we just we struggle with we, we struggle with stillness. We're addicted to busyness. 100% addicted. And you said it. There's, that's our first addiction is to not stop moving. Right. It's just and when we do stop moving, what do we do? TV remote, phone, yeah. Xbox. We do. We, whenever we stop and we say we're at rest, actually mm-hmm. not. And that's the funny thing about us is we've created all this entertainment that is supposed to be restful, which gaming, TV, sitting on our ass in a lounge. It's not actually at rest and you're not still. No, no, no. The entire body is still firing off. Everything is still going. You're actually sometimes less at rest sitting in front of a TV than you are going for a walk outside. Well, you're less at rest for having come face-to-face with yourself. How's that? Well, it is. And this is why meditation for me and people shy away from it, and I'm starting to do a lot of free classes here now with guys, is the key, the Mm -hmm. early key to it. Because when you're faced with yourself, you have nothing but self-honesty. When you're in stillness and solitude in your office or wherever it is that you choose to sit still, there's nothing but you. Yeah, you can't, there's nothing to distract you. You can't reach out and grab something. And you know, your guy with his standing pose, I've done 10 day retreats where you sit for 12 to 14 hours a day in meditation. Now you want to feel pain. Oh, oh my God. You, man, I'm telling you, I call it the special forces. It's called Vipassana. You don't eat. So you literally get three meals a day over a four hour period and you starve yourself for the rest of it. You don't talk for 10 days and it's the special forces of meditation. It really is 10 days of feeling. Man, you, 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 I can tell you. It just sounds painful to me. <laughs> man, and it is. Brent, it is the one, one of the most eye-opening experiences of your life. You leave the 10 days feeling like you, you've literally gone to war. 
and your heart quits itself. And the body is just like the mind at times. It gets a memory. It doesn't like pain or the perception of pain. So like when you're sitting still and at about, about the 45-minute mark, your entire low body feels like it's been put in a vice and your body's screaming at you, get up. You don't have to sit here meditating. Get up. And then you teach your mind, actually, you're not in charge. I am not you. God is, universe is my God, and that is what's underneath you. You are just a computer. You don't tell me what to do. And see, so people go, well, what are you talking about? Because we're raised to believe our mind is the, is the boss. You know, it's, it's the all the creator and it makes the choices. What you learn as you meditate and you even do just some of the basic practices I teach people is that that's not the truth. It can become a very faulty part of us because of the conditioning and experiences we've faced because it perceives them in a certain way. So it perceives pain. It perceives a certain person in a certain way, a certain situation. And then the mind will tell us, stay away. Don't go there. No, 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 no. I don't do that. I don't want to go back to that. So what we need to do is actually start to learn that we are not our thoughts. They're just bubbles. They pop and they go, pop and they go. The more we chase them, the more we desire the need to feed them, they become obsessions. Obsessions become addictions. Ah, you're going to rock some people's worlds, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> Thanks, brother. It's it, it's be- it's humbling to hear it because it's just me. I, I, like, and I don't have you know I'm I'm life experience taught. Well, life experience is one of the best teachers. I I believe it is. You you can you can educate people to an intellectual level. Some with schooling, obviously, right? You can learn book intelligence, but book intelligence comes when you add book intelligence to life experience and then open yourself to the lessons that come in between. That beautiful. I I say to people, knowledge is an incredible thing. We've got so much of it, we're drowning in it, but it's useless to it unless we practice it and it becomes wisdom because knowledge in action is wisdom. You know, So you take all of that life experience and you actually do something, act with it. Mm -hmm. Now you become wise. It's not a wise soul. If you sit in a room, a library, and you read your entire life, you are not wise. You are incredibly knowledgeable, probably incredibly intelligent, high IQ. Yeah. Yeah, but you will not become wise. And that's that goes back to the Tao Te Ching, that goes back to the Samurai. You need to put into action. And by taking um, action, you're going to make mistakes. And that's why I thought, well, I said yesterday about the fallible man. The fallible man is a man who's made mistakes. And the fallible man is a man who's going to kick ass because he's learned from it. Being fallible is that ability to say, I've done it, I've been there, I learned. I might do it again even <laughs> because I'm human and because that's what we do. But then I'm going to take the second time and I'm going to teach someone else or I'm going to support someone else or I'm going to help someone. And I think that's, you know, the beauty of, of you know, what you're trying to do with, with the fallible man and the beauty of, I guess, you know, us talking about this sort of stuff. We shy away from our mistakes, shy away from the errors, the bad relationships, Poor parenting choices, the, you know, and the list goes on. The bad financial decisions. The reality is your power is in those mistakes. Mm-hmm. If you've got the strength to admit them and have the self honesty to go back and go, let me have a look at that properly. You go, geez, I really cocked up there. <laughs> that point was where I really went. I went left, and oh, what was I thinking? Like, you, oh, you now you own it. You own it now, and then you get to go back and go, wow, man, I won't do it again. If you deny it happened and you blame everyone else, you don't get that right. When you point that finger out, you completely strip yourself of your power of choice. Gone. Because now it's everyone else's fault, not in your realm. And it's, it's something we talked about, you know, when we had a chat yesterday about vic- that victim mentality. Victims are powerless. That's, and that's uh, by choice. And that's choice. I, I'm, 
I'm very big into in my own journey. I mean, like the, the fallible man started my journey. And that's one of the things I'm very into is like the more responsibility I take, the more ownership I take in my choices, my decisions, my past, good, bad, or other, the more I have the power to actually do something with them and to decide where I'm going and make my choices. Because if I own it, then I can do something about it. If it's, if it's just, oh, it happened, then I've got no power. And it doesn't really matter what I do about it. So I can't fix my own problems. I can't get out of my own holes I dig for myself or anything else. And so I'm very, very big into just taking the power away from this. Oh, it's just, you know, it's just the way the world works. It's just the way life is. I hate terms. Like, no, I made a choice. I'm going to make a choice and I'm going to control where it's going. And there are some things that are outside of your control. But there are a lot of things that people want to say is just happenstance that really isn't. Well, it's an excuse, I think. I think that that's become one of those little traits. And I think this is where, sadly, we've lost touch with, with spirituality slash religion. You know, when everyone started to give up their faith, we, we lost touch with that. You know, we, we, we didn't have anyone to trust. So we basically stopped trusting entirely. And so now it became blame the state, blame the government, blame the president, blame the church, blame the blame everyone. Blame the minority, blame the majority, blame the someone. And, and now we're living in a world, and I'm going to say mainly the first world that does this, but even the third world starting to struggle because of the TV that we're pumping into poor parts of the world. With this idea that I'm not responsible for my own life, that some magical, you know, uh, money is going to drop from the sky or the government's going to hand me a bunch of money or the jobs will be created by, or we, we've given up um, the responsible parts of our lives. You said in one of your videos that you think that men are at a turning point. What do you mean by that? Oh, this is a big one. Uh, it is because it's huge because I do believe, I think we've been vilified. I think we've lived with a lot of guilt. I think it's an ancestral set of guilt. We went through like 40 years. We're basically, even though we're still in charge of business, we're still, we're still at the top of most things. We, we had the finger pointed at us. Women went on this massive revolution of freeing themselves and, and getting these rights that they earned. And what happened is we had ours taken away because every time we tried to stand up, someone pointed at us and said, you can't do that. You've, you, you're responsible for colonialism. You're responsible for the financial crushes. You're responsible. Men are vilified for everything. And, you know, maybe rightly so 40 years ago, but right now we're not. Right now we're the builders of the future. And this is not to take away from women being part of that process, but it's about men taking part in their role as the protectors and the nurturers of the community. If we don't now choose to let go of that past if we don't choose to own who we truly are and that is the fallible parts of us guys this is not just about the strength and the power and i'm the almighty creator of of my destiny this is about owning the selfishness the manipulation the lies the bad choices and going i'm going to honestly learn from these openly and i'm going to share this so that the people around me can do the same then we get to grow. Right now we're stagnant. Right now we're making this choice to put our heads in the sand, deny who we are, deny our faults, deny our mistakes, and we're just running headlong into the future. We're putting our heads in phones, heads in TVs, heads in gaming, working more, and disconnecting from the reality of, of the now. And that, that is where human beings having an experience which requires us to stop and be honest about who we are. 
you know, say, why? why? Why would I do that? It's painful. I don't want to go back into my past. I don't want to look at my mistakes. Why must I dig up and dredge, dredge that up? Because what you don't deal with, you pass on to your kid. Now, this is why I think it's responsibility, and I think men need to take a real, a real good listen to this. We are the center pivotal energy point in a home. If we don't have our shit together, the home's not a happy place. Mum can't carry everything. So if we don't take ownership of that presence in that house, that radiates out to the next door and the next door and our community side. When we get our house right, the next door can see as an example, man, look at this guy, he's got his act together. What does he do? He's grateful. He lives simply. He's a man of peace and stability. Not a weakness. Stability. Watch him out there playing with his kids even when he's on his way to work. When he gets home, he's tired. Still out there playing with his kids. Doesn't play the victim. On the days when he's really struggling, when it's really tough, takes a big breath in, pulls his shoulders back, and he keeps going, and he goes twice as hard. Because we're men. That's what we're physiologically built for. We are built for a challenge. Strip away all this modern technology and all this modern life on these big homes. We are tribal. We always were. And you can't remove that primal side of us. And so what we need to start doing is start realizing that we have a choice. You can't go and hunt anymore like we used to. And we don't have this, you know, the same gatherings. We're not required to be that same man. But you can still come back to being that center of peace. You still come back to being that center of a household. That when you're stable, when you're in that present moment, you're the mother of your kids, your kids, your parents, your sisters, your brothers, your general community around you is at peace. Yeah, when we're at peace, that at peace means free of anger, free of fear, free of resentment. If you free us of those things, you free us of the poisons of the modern age because we've got everything we possibly need to live the most beautiful lives right now. And we're basically destroying that by choice. It's not the president's fault. It's not the government's fault. You wake up every single day, the president doesn't tell you how to behave. You choose how you behave. So stop looking to point up and up and up and over and across the neighbor and and start looking at yourself. Start owning your choices. And watch how that strength and that stability and general steadiness in your life, your kids will start to react. Your partner will start to react differently. People will approach you and ask you how. But remember, you're going to need dedication and discipline. It don't come easy, but then that's what we are. We're men. Look at us. Put us in a war situation and look what happens. And not to use war, it's a terrible analogy, but what happens? We rise to the challenge. We become the best of the best. Not because of the killing and not because of that shit, but because we've got our brothers beside us in that tribal aspect again, connected to men. Yeah? We've stopped doing all that. You don't have to go to war to be connected to the guy next door. Yeah? You don't have to go and pick up a gun to get that, that brotherhood back. We don't, but we seem to think we do. And, you know, and this is, this is why many of us aspire to join the military. It's why I always did. I wanted that brotherhood. I wanted that challenge. Well, we don't need to do that. We need to do that in our own backyards right now. Stick your head over and talk to your neighbor and invite him for a barbecue. You know, go and hold a meeting in a park where a bunch of fathers sit and talk together about being good dads. What was your, what was your parenting win for this week and where did you fail? Can I help you? Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't life be a lot easier if we all? Just had a few more barbecues with our friends, our, our neighbors. It made it would change everything. As simple I, as that. Have a neighbor who, I mean, the guy, I'm not sure the guy could cook other than grilling. He, he had like four barbecue grills. Like it, it'd be snowing 
and he'd be in the edge of his garage with the door open. <laughs> it sounds like me. <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, his bar, we, we turned him into block parties. It'd start out with him and then it'd be like my wife and I joining him and his wife. And then pretty soon, like we got half the neighborhood in and out of the front yard. Anytime we did it in the front yard, if we didn't want somebody else to come, we had to go to the backyard. But we'd end up with like, you know, half the neighborhood right there. And it's like, you know, I don't even talk to you otherwise, but you know what? We can have a beer. We can, you know, throw something on the grill and call it good. And we have a whole lot more in common that way. Yeah, you do. And you, and, and we're never going to learn about people and what they need and how we might be able to help them by sitting at home, looking at them through window or waving to them as we drive off to work in the morning. And I think this is another, you know, another discussion we could possibly have. And this is another thing I teach this idea of connection. We are, whether we like it or not, connected creatures. We're not tigers who are solitary animals. We're pack we're we're wild dogs we're pack animals whatever you want to call it we're lions we are supposed to be connected and that doesn't mean you're like everyone don't get me wrong i'm not talking about singing kumbaya and hugging everyone at all we're still individuals who have different needs and boundaries and may not like everyone but we need to start learning to respect them even if we don't like what they're saying and i mean you guys you've got you're the greatest example of, of what can happen when division of opinion goes too far you can not like what someone says Really, you can despise it and think you're wrong, but you don't despise or disrespect underneath them as a human because that creates division. And the more we divide as a species, the more look at what, look at what we're sitting in. Oh, yeah. You know, and we are at our best when we're at a block party. When everyone, regardless of what, where, how, and why, lets go of everything. And also it breeds the opportunity for honesty where a guy can say, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm not, I don't get this parenting thing. My kid hasn't slept in four days. The missus is screaming. What do you guys do? And then you give him that, go, mate, this passes. And you can take a breath and go, you know what? I'm not the first one. Because humans tend to think we're the only ones going through things. It's just me. Poor me. I'm the only one. And we forget that there's an entire world out there. And sadly, an entire world full of a lot of suffering. So for us in the first world, again, it comes back to that beautiful grat- gratitude, that grateful moment as you crack a nice cold beer. That this is, you know, this is a piece of heaven. Tell me about yeah. Catalyst and what you're doing with that. Okay, well, well, look, Catalyst is is just me. It's it's a it's my coaching business. It is, it is, it's me. It literally is. You know, I want to, I want to go into a big spiel. It's everything I've talked about. It's taking my 47 years of life experiences and offering them to people as inspiration you know we live in a in a world that is full of fear and a lot of hopelessness and what i do is i use my experiences to help people find their gratitude how to find the simplicity how to overcome adversity so if there's a trauma there that you think has got you gripped can't work with has got you on your knees well it's not true and you know and people don't like me saying that but the reality is is if i can get through what i've got through in this 47 years there's nothing that another human can't achieve so I teach that. I do a lot of public speaking. I do a lot of workshops. And now more specifically, I've gone into a lot of men's work. And this is talking about what you just talked about, fatherhood. I'm realizing that as fathers, if we become more and more disconnected in a family unit, our kids are almost being raised fatherless. So even though dad is there, he's not truly there in a lot of homes. So what I'm starting to do is work with fathers about how they connect, connect with their kids, how they deal with a baby. Because a lot of men can't handle a baby. The idea that you, it's like take that until it stops crying, until it can walk, and then you can chuck it over here and I'll be all good with it. The problem is, is those early bonds are created in that first 12 months. So I teach fathers about that. I teach fathers about patience. But I teach them more importantly and, and overlying the biggest thing for fathers. 
connection with their children, connection uh, with their partners, and connection with their community. You know, the example you gave of the, the three fathers teaching another man is the greatest thing I can say of what I do. You know, I'll, I'll work with groups of 7, 10, 20 guys and talk about instances like that where we try to rely or go back on those primal bonds, brotherhood, you know, and give them some support and guidance so that this is idea that they're alone is vaporized, is gone. Because we're never alone unless we choose to. And so that's what I, my aim is with Catalyst now is to be a presence in my community, to be that peaceful presence. All those things I've talked about and, you know, words, 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 I live them. And that, I believe, for me, probably a big difference between me and a lot of other people and what I embody in Catalyst is I live the. I'm not a mouthpiece. I've not read this stuff in a book. I created all of this from my own explorations and my own mistakes, my own moments of being fallible. That's where I found them. And I support people through those, you know, as far as they need to go. You know, I work with people all over the world from three months to six months and beyond because I want to see people be the best they can be. Guys, I, I don't I don't endorse people very often, but just the side conversations that I've had with Aaron and this entire podcast, if you're looking for a coach, somebody to help you through you're tired of all the placating BS that you see advertised on the internet, reach out to Aaron, go to his Facebook. Uh, if you're on the video, it's on the screen. If not, it's facebook.com forward slash catalyst coaching AUST. One word, guys. And it will be in the show notes. It will be in the description, whatever platform you're on. Go touch base with Aaron, guys. He's not going to hold your hand and tell you it's all okay, but he might just point you in the right direction. I will, and I guarantee you one thing is I won't leave you. I don't I don't leave people till they're finished. You know, when I work with businesses, we remind business owners that your biggest commodity and the greatest thing you're ever gonna have as a businessman is people. Um, you know, so this idea that um we can just basically talk about things are gonna be all right. No, I require you to get up off your butt. I require you to do things and I require you to take action. And that's what we need in the world, right? Oh, my goodness. Coach actually expects you to do something. <laughs> you may break the internet with that one. Yeah, no, and the truth is I probably won't make many friends. This is the problem with what I do. And, and the thing is I've got to stay true to myself because I could switch and I could become like the rest of them. And I could sit there and become a glorified counselor and listen to your stories and tell you I'm going to hypnotize you and do all this. And I'm not taking away from anyone or, or slagging anyone. But the truth is your freedom and your salvation isn't in me. It isn't even his part. It's in you. I'm the guide that takes you back to you. That is it. Yeah. Aaron, if someone wants to find you other than for the Facebook group, do you do any other social media or anything? No, yeah, you can find me on Instagram as well. So that's Catalyst Coaching. Uh, if you search me there, um, YouTube channel, Aaron Young Catalyst. You can find me through uh, Aaron Young on Facebook. And no, I don't do websites and I don't do promotion and I don't do PR because the truth is, I believe that God, the universe, brings the people to me. And, you know, it's probably one of my failings that I don't believe in marketing. I believe in advertising. Marketing is manipulation. It's selling you stuff you don't need. Mm -hmm. I advertise because I believe I'm of, I'm of value to people. Problem is, is you know, um, probably a little too shy with that and I need to grow into it a little bit more. I understand entirely. Aaron, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for spending time with us and sharing. guys. Be better tomorrow because of what you do today, and we'll see you next time.
This has been the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.